Please, brothers and sisters, if you would, turn in your Bibles to our text this evening, which comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll be looking at chapter 5 and verses 8 to 20. So Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 8 to 20. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 8 to 20. Please then hear with me the reading of God's Word. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. The high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase to eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given to him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Thus far as a reading of God's Word. Well, so much of our life revolves around money, doesn't it? You need money for just about everything nowadays. There's not much that's, that's free in the world. Um, if you want to have shelter, you need money. Right? You need money to pay rent or to pay your mortgage. Uh, if you want to eat, you need money, don't you? You need money to go to the store and buy groceries. If you want to be dressed properly and accordingly, uh, you need money. Uh, we who have children also know that as they grow old, they grow out of clothes. You, you need more money to, to replace right, some of the clothes that they need. For some of us, we may even work jobs that you you got to go out and purchase clothes specifically for that job that you don't wear anywhere else but but for that job. Um, for many of us, likewise, if you if you ever want to take your family on some leisurely vacation, what else do you need? But you need money. Uh, if you want to get around anywhere, though, if you want to go to your job, if you want to go on vacation, what do you need? An automobile. If you want that automobile to move, what do you need? You need gas, so you need money for that. I think for for these reasons and many more, uh, people seek out careers that are going to pay them well. right? For this reason and more, people work overtime or, or two or three jobs. 
in order to make enough to live somewhat comfortably because nobody wants to kind of live poor, just kind of scrape by never having enough. But the question is, what happens when making money and and more and more of it becomes our top priority? Well, this is what Solomon is is addressing in our text that is before us this evening. In our text, we see the, the negative effects that the quest for wealth and riches brings. And the first thing that Solomon points out is that because of the the quest of man for riches and wealth, that we see that he will overlook justice out of greed. We see this right away in verse 8. Look with me again there, please. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. The idea here is that uh, justice gets lost in the shuffle. Because many times what you find is that at the top of corporations, companies, kingdoms, if it's corrupt, then those who are underneath them oftentimes follow that same pattern and are corrupt as well. They join in. And because you have so many people acting corruptly together, uh, they are more apt to turn the other cheek, right? To, to, to not see what's going on, right? To let it slide, uh, even for their own benefit, right? To line their own pockets. And I think many in this country can understand this, can't we? Uh, there are many complaints that this is what's going on with the folks in Washington, right? They are, they are corrupt, that they are trying to kind of line their, their pockets and, and oppress uh, those who are less fortunate. Uh, people believe the same thing is going on oftentimes with the drug and pharmaceutical companies, right? That many people in these, in these sectors of life are people who care nothing about other people, but all they care about is building wealth, right? Lining their own pockets with, with much riches. Now in verse 9, we have a notoriously difficult passage to translate here. Look at verse 9 with me. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. Now, in my ESV Bible, and I don't know, you might have a, a note at the, at the bottom of your Bible, but mine says the meaning of the Hebrew verse is uncertain. Okay, the meaning of the Hebrew verse is uncertain. So, um, this passage is, is difficult to understand because ultimately it can mean a few different things. Right? It can be read as a, as a positive statement. So that it speaks of the need of the king, uh, or the need of the king for his workers. So that it's an encouragement to the king, right? Uh, Treat your workers well, right? Because you need them to cultivate the fields that that you yourself benefit from, right? So it could be read in a positive way. It also, though, could be taken in the negative sense that the oppressor is never going to be held accountable because the king um, needs the field. And the oppressor is the one who, who is taking care of the field and making sure that it produces uh, the crops and that the workers are doing their work. And so the, the king or those on, on top will kind of overlook the oppressor. Um, you know, we can think of an example of that just in regular life. You have people who are good at their job, right, who bring in a lot of money for the company. And so what oftentimes happens, right, their um, immorality, right, is overlooked because of the bottom line because of what they, they bring into the company. But ultimately, what does Solomon say, though, about those who oppress out of greed? Right? Whichever 
way we want to take this. Ultimately, he says, don't be surprised by it. But he says, don't be amazed, don't be shocked. And as Christians, it certainly shouldn't shock us, should it? Why not? Because we understand the sinfulness of the carnal man, don't we? You know, you oftentimes hear from the world when a a government official or maybe a CEO of a company gets arrested for some crime, you hear people say, oh man, I couldn't believe what I heard. I would never think that a person in in their position of their stature would do such a thing. But why do they say something like that? Well, because they don't understand the nature of man. That's because they don't understand their own nature. They have a a warped view of themselves. This world believes that by nature we are mostly good people, don't they? The world believes that for the most part this world is, is ethical, is upright. Is good, but what does Scripture tell us? Right, scripture tells us the, the exact opposite is true, isn't it? Right, that we are children of disobedience. Uh, that we cannot obey the law of God, nor do we want to. That we are self-centered. That we are self-lovers. That we are selfish. That we have all turned aside. That we're evil. That we don't love our neighbor. And because of sin, we, that we now live for ourselves. But because of sin, what do we also see? That we only live for now. Right, that's what Solomon is pointing out as well. What can I get now? How much can I make now? What can I get away with now? Because we're consumed with earthly pleasure and with earthly happiness and we'll stop at nothing to get it because we feel like it's something that's owed to us. But how sad, isn't it? Because Solomon shows to us that when we focus on the attainment of money, right, when we focus on acquiring it, when it becomes our top priority, what you find is that it doesn't give you what you're looking for. Look at verse 10 with me, please. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Right? The love of money is vanity because it's coveting what cannot satisfy. Right? See, though, that the evil lies not in the having of money. The evil lies not in being wealthy, as we've said many times before, there's many godly saints in Scripture who are wealthy, but the evil lies in the love of money. It lies in the love of money. Look what happens to the one who loves money. Look at verse 11 with me. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Right? It becomes a burden to him in many ways, Solomon says, doesn't it? I mean, think about Right, the, the, the very wealthy, even in our own country. What oftentimes do they, do they have? They have multiple homes. They have a fleet of cars. Maybe they have a private jet. Right? They have uh, all, all of these things. But all of those things mean what? That they need people to take care of those things. They need someone to fly their private jet. They need... Uh, housekeepers to take care of all of their various houses. They need security. They need drivers to take them places. Which means what? They're, they're dishing out money right, over and over and over again to all these people right, that they have to pay. Uh, not only that, uh, when people are really wealthy, when they've really made it in this world, what oftentimes happens as well? All of a sudden, people come out of the woodwork with their hands out, don't they? I mean, I can think of numerous stories of, of athletes who made over a hundred million dollars during their career, who are now completely broke. Why is that? Well, because they made this money. Now family and friends and 
people they grew up with come out with their hands out looking to leech off of them. And so they end up losing all of their wealth. This is why Solomon can say in verse 12, Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. You see, brothers and sisters, the the common worker with just a small piece of land in his family is able to take care of everything by himself. He doesn't need all this helping hand. He doesn't have the stress of taking care of all these people and being worried about all these people that he employs. All he has to worry about is taking care of himself and his family. And so he's able to sleep well at night. But the one who, who is constantly looking to accumulate more and more and more has trouble sleeping because there's so much on his mind. Right? There's so much for him to think about. There's so much for him to have concern over. And so they have a lot to lose. And so the one who, who, who pursues wealth and riches isn't just someone who's concerned with their daily bread. Right? They're concerned with, with the future and far in advance and, and building this great and vast empire. But the person with little has little to lose. And that person with little also then has little fear over what it is that they lose. And we see that that wealth ultimately doesn't provide the, the greedy man joy anyway, does it, when they get it? Judas is a great example of that, isn't he? Right? Judas, who turned over our Lord to be put to death, received right, 30 pieces of silver. But did it make him happy? No, it didn't. His greed for money only caused more problems, didn't it? It didn't produce joy, but rather it produced more inner turmoil. He couldn't rest his head so much so that what did he do? He gave back the 30 pieces of silver and he went and killed himself. Right? People think that accumulating money is going to alleviate their problems when in fact, oftentimes, accumulation of money only exacerbates one's problems. It only brings out more unhappiness. Why? Because that person has no peace with God. This is what Isaiah tells us, right? He says that the the wicked have no peace with God. And how can they? For the love of their riches has shut out true happiness. Right? The love of riches in their heart leaves no room for the love of Christ in their heart. That was the case with the rich young ruler, wasn't it? If you remember, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And what does Jesus tell him? Forsake all that you have. Give it up and come and follow me. And what happened to the rich young ruler? We're told he walked away sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possessions. This is why immediately after that, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 and 24, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of God. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In astonishment, what do the the apostles ask in return? Well, who then can be saved? Remember what Jesus said? With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And don't we see that in the very antithesis of, of the rich young ruler in the picture and story of Zacchaeus? Right? We see that exactly in the story of Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19, we are told, what about Zacchaeus? That Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector and he was rich. But what happens right, when confronted with the Savior, when effectually called by Christ, right, he receives him with joy and happiness. Right, when looking into the eyes of the perfect Savior, he recognizes his own sin and repents of it. Do you remember what he says to Jesus? 
He says, I'm going to give half of all that I have away. And if I have wronged anyone, if I've defrauded anyone, I will give back to them fourfold what it is I took. See, we see that, that money no longer held the number one place in Zacchaeus' heart, did it? No, rather, rather Christ did. But it's that which Jesus spoke about the, uh, to the apostles about. With man, it's impossible. Right? Once money grabs your heart, right, nothing is going to let it go. Nothing is going to release it unless Christ Himself comes and grabs hold of it and takes it. But that's true, brothers and sisters, of all of us. And whatever sin gripped our hearts, right, the only way that we were able to get free of that, to break free from the bonds of that sin, was through the grace of God sending Christ to reclaim the hearts of His people. And thank God that He did because sin is harmful, isn't it? Right? Sin hurts. Sin destroys. And Solomon makes this point in verses 13-17. to 17. Please look with me there. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, womb, he shall go again naked as he came. and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. So we see how the, the love of money can, can harm and, and hurt the one who sets their, their heart upon it. Right? Solomon says what? It can easily be lost, doesn't he? Right? Think about uh, though the one who will do anything to keep their money. Right? They lie, they cheat, they steal. But oftentimes what happens to those kinds of people? Right? They go to jail, don't they? Uh, you, you hear maybe on the news sometimes those people who set up you know, Ponzi schemes. Uh, to, to make a lot of wealth. But in order to do that, they're cheating out other people. And when they get caught, what ends up happening? They go to jail and they lose everything that they had tried to earn. Right? They lose it all. And whatever they do have left, what do they have to do? They have to pay back in restitution. Um, for the people whose whole existence is tied to, to that money, right? whose whole identity is in money, what oftentimes happens to those people? Uh, when they come to the conclusion that they're going to lose maybe all that they have through a bad venture. And oftentimes for those people, when they re recognize that they're going to lose it all and they see them, that there's no more reason to live, what do they do? They, they oftentimes take their own lives, don't they? Right? They take their own lives recognizing that now they have nothing to give to their, their children. They have nothing to leave their family. They're ashamed by it. And so they take their own lives. Solomon also says that that wealth disappears at death. He says, you go out of the world the same way that you came in. right? Naked and with nothing. So he says, you spend your life trying to acquire all this wealth and all these riches for what? Right? Ultimately, it's vexation, it's frustration. And we need to see that that kind of lifestyle not only harms someone uh, physically, right? it takes a toll on your life to be constantly working and constantly up and not getting sleep and all the... In worrying about these things, it takes a toll physically, but even more so, brothers and sisters, it takes a toll spiritually, doesn't it? On the, on the one who, who does this. This is why the, the great German uh, reformer Martin Luther said this. He said, the wicked begin their hell in this life. The wicked begin their hell in this life. 
Right? Because it's not just that, that money will never give to them the happiness that they're looking for, but rather God will not allow them to be satisfied right, through the pursuit of money. Right? He will not allow them to find the happiness that they are looking for. Right? He will make it sure that it is a burden upon their soul. And so you see that for those who love money, right, money is an evil master. Right? Money lords over them. But this is why, brothers and sisters, we are to trust in no one but God. That we are to, to look to, to no one but Christ. For only He can cause us to take joy in the earthly pleasures that God has given to the children of man. This is what Solomon says in verses 18 to 20. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. I want us to see something, brothers and sisters, that that even in a world filled of, of sin and sorrow, the Christian, right, the believer, can still enjoy the earthly things that God has given to us. But this can only be done when, when Jesus opens our eyes right, to recognize that everything that we have is a gift of God. Right? This only happens when Jesus opens our eyes and enables us to, to see the, the true value that we are to put on those things that God has given to us. But this can only be done by the power of God. Right? Only by God's power does He enable us to use all things rightly. Right? Only God can remove all that clouds our eyes from eternity through faith in Christ and teaches us that that is where our heart is to be set towards. This is why Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and could take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will, we will be content. This is why Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom. Because our days are numbered. One day we will all die. And so we need to order our lives now accordingly. We need to remember to continually tell ourselves we deserve nothing. And everything that we have is more than what we deserve. We need to understand that our lives aren't about us, but about God. And I pray that God would rid us of our earthly attachments to money and possessions so that we, like Abraham, who was a, a wealthy man, could look beyond whatever earthly riches that we have because they don't matter that much to us. Right? As Abraham looked beyond his wealth and his riches, right? he looked beyond those things knowing that that's not what he was created for. He wasn't created for an earthly land and earthly riches, but rather he was created for the heavenly land and for heavenly riches. And that is where he set his eyes upon. And so brothers and sisters, may we look to the same land. May we look to those same riches every day of our lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, how it teaches us, uh, how it corrects us when we are in error, how it uh, pierces um, our hearts, how it um, fashions us, how it molds us uh, after the will of God. Uh, We thank You for this, Lord. We thank You for the, 
the Holy Spirit who You have sent to indwell us, to, to show us these things and to reveal these things to us. Uh, we ask, Lord, that You would cause us to think about uh, the dangers and the evils of not just wealth and riches, but pursuing anything uh, instead of Christ, as Christ ought to be the, the preeminent love of our life. It is He who ought to take uh, first place in, in our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that You would help us to, to not set anything else up in the place of, of God. And that You would help us to focus our attention and our lives upon living, not for ourselves, not for our own glory, not for our own honor, uh, but for Yours. And we ask You these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.